eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 132 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Bruins, Scott McLaughlin. The Bruins are 12-2-0 after their 3-1 victory over the Calgary Flames at the TD Garden. It marked the return of Charlie McAvoy in his season debut. And Johnny on the spot, he gets the game-winning goal. Um, I believe it was a power play goal. Uh, in the it was right grade. after the power yeah, play. Right after. After. So uh, similar to Brad Marchand, he makes his season debut. Marchand did and had two goals and now... McAvoy makes his debut and scores the one goal. Um, so just, you know, there's been a – the Bruins obviously have had, they've won 12 of their four, first 14, so you would think it's it's just been gravy the whole time. But they haven't always been pretty wins. I think tonight is one of those where it wasn't a pretty win. I, I, I honestly kind of thought that Calgary carried the play for a lot of the game. I think that they've been on a pretty bad losing streak despite having good talent, so they knew that they had to come up and play hard. But, um, yeah, I mean – Good teams find a way to win. Bruins keep finding ways to win. Yeah, and I thought uh, you're definitely right. Like Calgary had more possession, seemed to control play uh, for long stretches of the game. But I thought the Bruins defensively stayed pretty sound. Like they they gave up a lot of shot attempts, but I'm looking at high danger chances, five to five for the game. They didn't give up a lot of high danger chances. If you look at like the, you know, natural stat tricks, fancy shot heat map, everything for oh, Calgary Scott's is from favorite. the everything for Calgary is from the outside, and like that's exactly how it felt watching it. It was like 
Flames had the puck. They were in the zone, but the Bruins really weren't letting them get to the front all that much. And now a few times they did and Allmar came up big and Calgary had what six power plays. Um, and, you know, tested the Bruins some on that, but five on five, I thought the Bruins, you know, obviously you would love to get more pressure and win pucks back and get going the other way. But when they were defending in their zone, I thought did a, did a pretty good job. And that was, that was key. They, they took advantage of a couple chances that they got with two defensemen scoring. You mentioned McAvoy, Connor Clifton had their first goal on, uh, a nice play where he gets set up by Nosek with a you know a nice pass back to the point. Takes a shot, tracks down his own rebound and buries it. Nick Felino right on top of the crease on both goals. Uh t- basically ties up a defender on Clifton's and uh sets a screen on McAvoy's. And you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Felino a little more. He also stands up for Nosek after Nosek takes um a hit that I thought was definitely a penalty um, by Kevin Rooney, you know, kind of from behind sort of drove his head into the glass and Felino stands up for him, drops the gloves. So, you know, Felino definitely making his presence felt, but it, yeah, it was one of those wins that you just have to grind out. It's not pretty. It's not one of the high scoring wins we saw earlier in the season, but you know, Linus Allmark comes up big again and, uh, Bruins shown that, you know, they can, as we've seen quite a few times now, that they can win different ways. And this was a kind of grinded out defensive game. Just, you know, just one or two breakthroughs kind of decided. Yeah. And and that's something that Coach Montgomery talks about after every game. And, and even Charlie McAvoy, when we talked to him after the game as well, just seeing how the Bruins always find a way to win in the third period. It's been a lot of different ways they've had to come out and do it in the third period, but they always find a way to win. They have still not lost at home. Um, and I asked Charlie McAvoy, like, you know, it was probably hard to sit there and watch, um, you know, your team having all this success and, and all the wins and and whatnot. And he said, you know, yeah, it was, it, it's hard to watch, but he, that's one of the things he enjoyed was just seeing how they, somehow were able to find their way um, in all of these different styles of games and come out with wins. And he was happy to be a part of one um, in tonight's game. But that's something that pretty much, you know, we, when we talk to guys and when we talk to coach, they bring that up a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think there was a lot of anticipation for this game, obviously when um, we've kind of speculated the last, week and a half or so, you know, could McAvoy come back soon? And Scott kept making the the good point about um, when we see him in practice with Lindholm or somebody like that, we'll have a better idea. And that's exactly what happened. So the last 36 hours or so, it's been a lot of anticipation to see the Bruins with minus forward and Swayman, like their full lineup, which really is when, when they're on paper, it is, I would say, up there with anybody in the, in the NHL as far as uh, Stanley Cup caliber. So it was kind of like they played so well this year. It was almost like, all right, well, now they're going to really be something. But I think what, what you saw tonight is uh, they were pretty sloppy. Um, I, I still think that every season's a new team, right? And even though it's the majority of the team from last year, like it's, it's, still, uh, a, it's still a new unit. And I think like there are new players still being integrated, like Pablo Zaka and, and others. And um, so – 
I, I guess what I'm saying is it wasn't the smoothest game that we thought we were going to maybe see because McAvoy is still clawing his way back in. I think he only played four-plus minutes in the first period. So, I don't know. It was a sloppy game for the most part, at least offensively it was. Um, but they're going to find their groove uh, the more reps that McAvoy gets. And somebody – I think Scott mentioned the start that Eric Carlson has had in San Jose – and um, it's almost like, well, where was that the last few years? And I think when you had kind of two alphas on the blue line in San Jose with Eric Carlson and Brent Burns, sometimes it's like tough to have one guy play to his ceiling because you're, you're sharing touches. And maybe that, and maybe that's why Hampus Lindholm got off to such a strong start this year. He was the guy back there. But now with McAvoy back, they're obviously a stronger unit with the two of them together. But it's going to be something that they're going to have to focus on is – is um, being able to both play to their potential when you have two alphas in the back end. And maybe that's splitting them up on the different pairs like they kind of did tonight. But that's just something that the Brewers are going to have to figure out as the season goes along. Like, who's who's going to quarterback that that top power play unit? Are they going to stick with five forwards all year? I don't think so. Who's going to who's gonna be on the ice when, you, when you're down a goal uh, in the goalie pool? Probably both of them. But just little things like that, like the Brewers have to figure out who what everybody's – role is when everybody's everybody's healthy yeah and to to your point about you know the defense and and Lindholm and McAvoy in particular they did start today with Lindholm with Clifton and McAvoy with Grizzly so um you know they did split them up and Lindholm ended up getting more time on the power play but all of it with a second they literally did not put for the entire game on all five power plays they did not put a defenseman on the first unit um so it was all time on the second unit, but it was about two minutes for Lindholm and a minute for McAvoy. No time for Grizzly on the power play now that McAvoy's back. So um, just interesting to see how they kind of move that around. And I think Coach really likes that Lindholm-Clifton pairing to keep it together for now at least. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that's a good pairing to go with if you're wanting to avoid – like what you said, Brian, like putting two guys out there that have such high offensive ceilings. Um, and so they don't kind of take that time away from each other. Yeah. The, the Lindholm Clifton pairing has been really good now and basically four games together since Forber went down. And obviously a, a huge reason that is just that uh, Connor Clifton is now playing like a legitimate top four defenseman and really has been all season. Like he and Forbert had to be, uh, you know, a second pair behind Lindholm and whoever earlier in the season because of injuries. And then Forbert goes down, he gets put with Lindholm and they play well together. And now, you know, McAvoy comes back and you're wondering, okay, maybe they go, you know, do you go Lindholm McAvoy and then Grizzly Carlo and Clifton's back to the third pairing. Nope. He stays with Lindholm and he, continues to get to get minutes. I think he was second among Bruins defensemen in minutes again tonight. Uh nineteen twenty eight. He's over you know, he's like twenty one minutes per game in the season. And at least for now has clearly moved ahead of Brandon Carlo on the depth chart. Um I think that's reflected in their minutes. And you know, I don't even necessarily think like Carlo's played poorly. I think I think he's been fine. But Clifton has really just taken his game to another level this season and he's done it. You know, he's been involved on in offense. He's been physical and 
he's really earned those minutes. And, you know, Brian, to your point, like if that frees up both McAvoy and Lindholm potentially, then maybe you do keep them apart for the time being. Um, you know, I tweeted out some stats on the Lindholm Carl Clifton pairing uh, before the game and now updated after the game. Like, their numbers are just absurd. They're like around 60% on Corsi when they're on the ice, shots on goal when they're on the ice, expected goals. The Bruins have now outscored opponents 5 nothing when they've been on the ice together. So, yeah, like, why would you just pair that up? And we know Grizzly and McAvoy have plenty of chemistry. They've played together and always been successful in the past. The question with that pairing was always, well, you know, is, Grizz- is Grizzly really going to hold up as like a top pairing guy in those kind of minutes, uh, you know, when you really need it? It's like, Two guys well, with bum shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who got shoulder surgery on the same day at the same place. And yeah. They're just um, like hanging out on a couch together for part of the summer. Yeah. But it's like it, there's a little less pressure on that pairing when you kind of have like another top pairing, which is what you get when you have a guy like Campus Lindholm. So. Yeah, you Montgomery can ride, you know, this lineup for as long as he wants, or he can switch it up. Like they, they have plenty of options, but I think Clifton playing as well as he's been playing, like, really helps create those options. Yeah, and and when asked, I think you asked Coach this question uh, about Clifton. Uh, he's what he said about him was he continues to lead us in physicality. Um, him and Felino both are kind of, you know, one guy on the back end, one guy on the front end, the two guys on the team that um, lead by example when it comes to being physical. Clifton laid a hit on Lucci. Uh, you know, it, it, that's dangerous. You know, you know that. Uh, so he, he's been, and it's been every game. It's been so consistent with him. Whereas in the past, it's like, okay, five good games. All of a sudden, he's looking like okay, maybe back down to Providence, and then and now he Clifton is um, really kind of secured his his role in a on a team where there have been defensemen that have had to go up and down, Mike Riley notably, um, and you know Zaboral coming out of the lineup a lot, but Clifton has played in every single game, um, and he has definitely earned his time on the ice, um, and also I. He he said something you would like, Scott, and I know you heard him. He said his goal and his shots would were going to help his Corsi. That's right. <laughs> and I think he looked right at you, like um, this is for yeah. the. Apparently, he follows it. I don't know. I think he's he's at least aware of the concept. I don't know how closely he really follows it, but <laughs> but his his is very good uh, this season. Um, it was I, it was also funny when maybe he, was, he saw your tweet. Maybe he was like Scott, my course, he's going to go up, readjust your stats. Possibly. <laughs> um, another tweet. It was also funny when he was at, when he was talking about that Lucci shit, he said, uh, yeah, two big bodies coming together. I'm like, <laughs> I wanted to be like, you're, you're like five eleven, one ninety, but And like, he was kidding, obviously. Yeah. I guess. But he I was in a good like, mood. He, he might legitimately mood. just think he's bigger than he is. <laughs> Well, like he the, like the Chihuahua mentality. Yeah. He plays. He plays big. So, yeah. um, the, the 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 first word that comes to my mind when I watch Connor Clifton is engaged. He's always engaged when he's on the ice, um, and you just notice him. 
you always notice when he's out there, at least this year. I mean, he's had his troubles in the past. You know, he's always had that cliffy hockey ability that people speak of, but then there were times where he'd get reckless. But it hasn't been the case this year. This year, it's either it's either um, it's a solid solid body check you're noticing, or he's jumping into the rush, or just it it doesn't really. It, he's always doing something, and I think that Connor Clifton fits the mold better for what Jim Montgomery wants to see in his decor when it comes to um, jumping into the offense. Like, so if you're Jim Montgomery, you look at your decor and you're like, who is capable of driving offense for us in the back end? Well, it's Charlie McAvoy and it's Hampus Lindholm. So who are the two D partners that can help them reach that ceiling? Well, it's Matt Grizzlick. And then is it Clifton or Carlo? And, that answer is clearly Clifton. It's like Connor Clifton is going to help Hampus Lindholm be Hampus Lindholm a hell of a lot more than Brandon Carlo is right now because it's just Brandon Carlo doesn't have he doesn't have the offensive awareness that Clifton does, and he doesn't have well. If I'm being honest, Connor's he he has more skill than with the puck on his stick than than Carlo does. I mean, um, well, look at I the think, goal he scored. He freaking lifted that like yeah, point yeah. blank, just lifted it top shelf, and I was like. Wow. Okay, that was a very you know goal scorer's goal, like skilled goal. Yeah, it was a bit of a broken play, but yeah, it's it's, it's it, it, to your point though. It's a nice finish. Like there's touch there, and when when the when the puck is on Connor Clifton's stick in transition, something can happen. Whereas if that's Brandon Carlo, you're there's really not if once or it's almost like once or twice a year Carlo will show something on the rush, but like. um Anyway, so like, so if you're Jim Montgomery, you just to Scott's point earlier, like Connor Clifton has earned that this year, and maybe for right now, I mean, maybe Brandon Carlo is is better suited with Derek Forbert in like a in a lengthy shutdown pair at some point this year. If Connor Clifton continues to play this way, like I said, he's going to enable Hampus Lindholm to be Hampus Lindholm um, more so than Carlo would. I think uh, he just he. In both, in both, uh, all three zones, like when, when, when Lindholm is in this D zone, Clifton's, he's quicker to the puck than Carlo is. He, he makes, he, he's a better passer in his own zone than Carlo is, especially with his D partner. And he can help push the game north. Obviously, Matt Grizzly can do that with McAvoy. So I just think it, when, when you're trying to optimize two stallions in, in McAvoy and Lindholm and allow them to reach their offensive ceiling, Right now, it's Grizzly and Clifton that give those guys the best chances. D partners. Yeah, Cl- Clifton should have had an assist too in this game. Had a nice pass right, right across the slot to Pasternak, and Pasternak mm-hmm. had net to shoot at, and just sort of like healed the shot a little bit and end up going off the side of the net. And so to finish up, like our our conversation about the D. Um, first of all, Forbert got put on long-term IR today. That's why McAvoy was able to come back and it freed up the cap space they needed. Cause for a while there, uh, we were, Scott and I were up in the booth, like how technically they don't have cap space if they didn't put Forbert on IR. So they either traded someone or they put Forbert on there and, and no one noticed it came up later that, um, it was that they put Forbert on long-term IR. And so that still leaves like when Forbert comes back, you have three extra defensemen. Like you have most likely Saboral, Strom, and Riley as like your three guys that are NHL level guys that they they have to trade someone because they have to trade. They absolutely now they're gonna have to free up 
when Forber comes back, unless someone else goes on long-term IR, then they they have to move three million dollars. Yeah, but Strawman's contract is super low, so it's probably like I don't. I mean, they could cut him, I guess, but you know, they they probably look elsewhere to trade. But anyway, it's just it's to it's speak- gonna it's Riley. I mean, it, yeah, you know, writing, writing's clearly on the wall with Riley, and his salary's in the right range. But the question is, is like, does someone become desperate enough that you that the Bruins don't have to give something up, or do they have to throw in a sweetener? Whether it's you know, it might not be able to be salary retained, but a draft pick, a prospect, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think Riley's a good enough player to to not have to do that, but they know what's Well, he's been on waivers twice in. and no one's claimed him. So. I know. That's true. But I'm saying, like, for some teams, he's an NHL guy. Like, it's not it's, – it's not completely – you're not getting a completely – um, you know, banged up guy. So um, anyway, my main point was just that they have a lot of depth on defense and like I was going to say too much so that they have to get rid of someone. Um, but Forbert's not back yet. So that's another conversation for another day later down the road. Um, and so another thing to, to bring up about McAvoy is that when coach Montgomery was asked about whether he'll play in both games in the back-to-back this weekend, he said the plan is to just play him in one of the games. Um, but they're going to evaluate that before, you know, before the weekend and see how he feels after tonight's game. So, um, the plan is to only play him in one of the games. So maybe he doesn't travel to Buffalo and he plays the home side of it against Vancouver would be my guess. Um, or maybe he plays in both, but I think my guess is that he only plays in one just because they do want to make sure they do this the right way. I mean, I think one of the things they said too, is if he's feeling up, we'll, we'll see how he feels. And so if that tells me if that, if McAvoy is any saying it, then he'll obviously say, no, I want to play again. And maybe he will play. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think I understand the benefit of, or at least their mindset of, of easing him into it. But at the same time, I don't know. I mean, um, Martian said it best. Like you, you just got to get out there and start playing. And I, I don't know if they do, if they do manage, manage his minutes or, you know, um, give him like a, a night off, it would be just that it would just be one night. So, and then he, I don't like, I don't anticipate them doing that this year. He's going to, he's going to be in the lineup every night as long as he's healthy. So I just, I, part of me is like, just let him get, let him get back into it. He's missed some time. He didn't have training camp. Let him play against Vancouver and Buffalo. I mean, they're not, they're not, world beaters in fact i was actually a little concerned tonight about his first game being uh, being back against calgary because calgary has some big bodies that like to forecheck and i was like oh i don't know it's not the best best team to play against in your first game back but uh yeah I, it I would, was I one of their most, yeah what's that it was one of their most physical games that they've yeah. that they've been in yeah Mon- montgomery said he thought it was the most physical which yeah. you know hard to argue um yeah, it wasn't as firm of a we're definitely not playing him back to back like it was with Marshan. Like Montgomery clearly at least left the door cracked open. Whereas with Marshan, it was like right from the get go, it was like, no, he's not playing the back to back, period. Absolutely not. Um, and the Bruins also have three full days off after Sunday's game. They don't play again until Thursday. So there's already that built in break there as well. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Bridget, I think you're right. Like if he's, I would say if he travels to Buffalo, he's probably playing both games because 
having him not travel would be the natural one to sit out. Um, so, so we'll see. Yeah. And maybe they'll just let him play against the, uh, the Vancouver Jackson uh, on Sunday, but, uh, which by the way, he does have a goal. Uh, that was there a, in, in Vancouver. That was Did you see that goal? <laughs> That, yeah. that that was the slowest shot I've ever seen in my life. It was. It was <laughs> hey, one. they don't ask how. No. Uh, hey, you know what? Good for him, though, to to get one in his first couple of games. I'm sure that felt good for him. You know? Um, uh, and just another funny thing that coach said about McAvoy before we move on from the defense. Uh, so somebody asked him, like, does is it fitting? that he scored just the same way that Marshawn scored um, in his first game back. And he said, the stars are falling in line, which I think he meant to say the stars are aligning. And he said, that means that when Swayman comes back, he's going to get a shutout. And when Forbert comes back, he's going to get a hat trick. So guys just wait. I'm sure that's that's what's going to happen. (laughs) It would have been better if he said Swayman's going to (laughs) score. Yeah. Oh, I have a, I have one other thing about the defense. Did you guys happen to watch the latest Behind the Bee by any chance of the imagination? I caught a clip. I didn't watch the whole thing. All right. So there was a scene where um, they were – I'm trying to remember who they were playing. Oh, they were in the locker room in Pittsburgh before the Penguins game. And and Jim Montgomery's – he's sitting sitting in, like, gym attire uh, in one of the stalls talking to the guys after the pregame skate. And – there were a couple of guys sitting on the floor, like stretching while he was addressing the team. And, and, uh, and the, all of a sudden they show a close up of this guy. And I'm like, who, I'm like, I'm like, I don't recognize that Bruins coach at all. This guy had a, he had a, a black Bruins sweatshirt on with a hoodie over his, over his head. And I go, I don't know who that coach is. And then I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> I go, that's Anton Strawman. He looked like he was, he looked like Creed Bratton. He looked like he was 60 years old. Cause he got rid. He had no goatee. I think, I think he used to have a goatee, yeah. but he was cleanly shaven, and he looked like Creed Bratton from The Office. He literally looked like he was like 65 years old. Um, <laughs> this is your last thought about the D. WWW Creed thoughts, whatever. <laughs> um, it's just a know. it's just a word document. Yeah. <laughs> Backslash Creed thoughts. Um, no, you 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 mentioned Strowman's name a few minutes ago, and it just reminded me of that. But he looks he looks he's an old looking mother effort, but. <laughs> Anyway, um... Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, we can move on to the forwards now. I I, I do want to <clears throat> throw this to you guys real quick. Um, are you surprised? I don't know. At, at least in my opinion, I feel like I haven't seen the chemistry between uh, Krejci, Hall, and Pashnak there as much as I hoped I was going to see it early on. I, I know now Krejci's was hurt for a handful of games early on and, and it's still early in the season, but there haven't been a ton of like odd man rushes where they're tic-tac-toeing and there haven't, has I, I gotta be honest. There hasn't been a whole lot of anything between those three, even in the offensive zone. Like, are you guys surprised by that? No, obviously 
as individuals, they all have, you know, I mean, Pashnak's obviously got like, what, 21, two points in 14 games. Like he's, he's playing phenomenal as a, as an individual. Phenomenal. Uh, one of the prettiest empty net goals you'll ever see, by the way. And, you know, Krejci and Hall, like, they have like 10 points or so through 14 games, whatever it is. So it's not like neither of them are performing on an individual level, but as a, as a unit, I just don't see it five on five as much as I was hoping to early on at least. Yeah, it's been quiet for them for a little while now. And, you know, especially this, especially Thursday's game against Calgary, like it was a very weird game. I thought the the Bergeron line was really quiet too. When So when one of the Bruins' top two lines was on the ice, the Bruins got outshot 12 to three. Like that, you just don't see that. But specifically to, to that second line, um, yeah, it, it, it's like it almost seemed like earlier in the season, like right off the bat, I think opening night or yeah, I think it was opening night. Like you saw Krejci and Pasternak making like a bunch of, you know, like great passes to each other, like almost kind of like behind the back at times. And I don't know if that, maybe that was just a product of like, we, we talked about at the time how, you know, teams early in the season, including the Bruins tend to be, kind of get opened up more defensively they're not structured they're not clamping down and i wonder like as that's happened as the bruins have gotten into some tougher opponents that are starting to play better defense against them that line hasn't really been able to adjust and you're right like the fact that they're not getting chances off or at least a lot of chances off the rush it's kind of the most concerning part because you figured they would at least have that right like that would be there they'd be able to create chances off the rush and then maybe you know the work in the zone cycling all that would have to come and you know maybe be a little bit more of a work in progress but yeah it it does look a little disjointed and i think you know i don't crazy has been good this season but i still feel like at times it looks like he's maybe not quite back up to nhl speed like he's still there's been a few times where like he gets the puck on his stick and the play kind of catches up to him faster than he's anticipating and he loses the puck um, or he holds on to it just a little bit too long. And, you know, I'm not concerned like longer term. I think he's going to be fine. I think he's, he's a smart enough player. He'll get there, but it does seem like at times he's still not quite up to NHL speed. Yeah, and he's something we were talking about, too. He's a minus four on the season. And there's – I don't even know if there's another Bruin that's – okay, Strawman is the only one that's a minus four. Like, everybody else is higher than that. Um, Some guys are in, you know, Pasternak, he's plus six, and Krejci's minus four. That's still such a big difference between um those two, despite them being on the same line. And I did think that they were quiet today besides – Besides on the power play, um, the five forward power play, like we mentioned, um, which they, Pasternak at least had a few chances. Krejci had one, I remember, like, crossing through the, like, right above the crease. Um, but, yeah, I thought that other than on the power play, they were kind of hard to notice, except for at the very end when Pasternak scored an empty net goal. And like you said, it was actually kind of a pretty empty net goal. Um but anyhow, the fi- just because I was just saying about the five forward power play, um, they at times did not look great. 
But at other times, like they look very dangerous just with how fast they can move the puck. Um, and they're getting shots that are in close. Like you're, you're not seeing them try to, to take chances that are like even really that high above the dots. Like they're getting all their chances really close in down low um, to brusque in particular down there. So I think that it's, it's kind of a weird power play, obviously with the five forwards, but they do some things well enough to keep them together. I don't know if I would keep them together every single power play, maybe do it twice a game and two other power plays don't do it. I, I don't know, but, um, it was just different how, how close their, their close chances were, you know, a lot more, um, and they're they're clearly elite passers and better puck movers. So those are just my thoughts on the five person. I thought it was, I thought it was especially interesting that Montgomery stuck with it with three, three fifty six left in the third period. Uh, with a one goal lead and he still went with the five forward unit, which I was reminded of before the season when he was first asked about five forwards and he, you know, he said he's open to it. And then he was said, you know, but it, it'll be situational. Like, and I think I, I wanted to try to find this quote before the podcast, but I, I don't know. I'll have to go back, but I think he like specifically said, like, I wouldn't do it protecting a one goal lead late in the third. And then you get into this game, and he does. And I and I asked well, him yeah, because he got yeah he got tr- he got trigger happy. He was like, I just wanted to extend the lead. <laughs> well, yeah, he was like, if it was only two minutes left, he he probably wouldn't have. But he said, you know, with like almost four minutes left, yeah, he thought it was a great chance to extend the lead. He liked the way they were playing, and you know, basically, he feels like Krejci's been reliable enough at that point spot and responsible enough that like he's not. He's not worried about like a turnover up there and it going back the other way. Uh, so one, I, I'm going to uh, make a comment on the power play real quick. I just wanted to, before I forget, just one last thing about that second line is that um, just one thing I, I really think that they need to focus on is they need, they need to identify like who's going to be the lead for checker. I, I, I I think when you have a scoring line, it's really important to have three different guys that know their identity on the line. Like one of my favorite lines in the last like 15 years for the Bruins was Lucic, Mark Savard, and Phil Kessel, just because each guy knew exactly what their role was. Lucic was get in there and, and cause havoc. And Savard was the elite setup man. And Kessel was the finisher and not every line is going to be made up like that, but it was a good identity. Like every guy knew what they did. And you look at, Martian and Bergeron and Pashnak over the years. And Martian was that guy. Like he's going to lead the four check and Bergeron's going to be the all around and Pashnak's the finisher. But with this current line of, of Hall Krejci and, and Pashnak, I just, I don't see any of them. Um, they're, they're too, they're too offensively talented. Like I need one of them to really get in there and, and use their speed. Cause they all, have, well, Hall and Krejci, uh, Hall and Pashnak have speed in the wings. Like those, whoever's the first guy in Hall or Pashnak, they just have to commit more to, to play in the body on the four check first guy takes the body as opposed to trying to anticipate where the puck's going and, and Hall and Krejci, they both like to be playmakers. And I just feel like, I think, I, I think that line would be better off if, if Taylor Hall would adopt more of a shot first mentality and not defer to Pashnak all the time, because it looks like he and Krejci both want to make pretty passing plays, but it's just, 
I don't know. So that that's just my quick thought on them. They're just gonna and they'll figure it out. And to your point, Scott Krejci will he'll get going. Um, but he is it does look like he's catching up to some NHL speed here. Yeah, and and just before we move off them because I want to look this up, just like some numbers on them that I think you know, just so it doesn't come across as like the sky's falling or anything. But they're still at fifty five percent. Corsi on the season, 59% expected goals, but actual goals are 3 3. So, um, when they've been on the ice, so you know, breaking even is not not what you expect from that unit. Like, you expect them to significantly outscore the opposition when they're on the ice, but their overall numbers aren't, aren't bad. They're, they're just not quite where you probably expect them to be or want them to be. But again, that's that comes back to like, they're clearly not clicking in all on all cylinders yet. So if they if they can get there, then you would expect them to start scoring at the rate that you know I think everyone thought they would. And it's only fourteen games of the year, and they've only been together for what eight or nine of them with Creech. Yeah. Um. My 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 only comment on the power play that you guys were just talking about is um with the five forward look. I'm a little trepidatious long term with that, just because I really think it's important to make sure that you're keeping. Um, either McAvoy or Lindholm engaged um, throughout the course of a game in all situations. And I think that you can be selective and decide for this power play, let's go all five, let's go all five forwards. But I really think that it's better, it's better for the team to have um, McAvoy and or Lindholm McAvoy, ideally um, getting those touches at some point on the top unit. Lindholm still, even without getting as much time as normal on the power play ended up with almost 26 minutes of time on ice. So like maybe occasionally you could say, okay, we'll give him a break for the, because he does come in on the second unit still. Um, So it's not like he's not getting power play time on ice. He's just not getting it with the first unit currently. Yeah. And I think McAvoy is going to end up there. Um, I asked Montgomery on, Wednesday yeah I think Wednesday was like the practice he got moved up and I asked Montgomery like will McAvoy go right back to the top power play unit and he said he hadn't even thought about it at that point um and then said you know at first like they're just going to focus on his five on five minutes and kind of start to to work him into special teams but he said yeah like once he's up to speed he's definitely on that unit so he kind of kind of already gave it away saying like that's where he sees them, um, which isn't surprising. Like, I think the the five power play unit, five forward power play unit is is good and has and has looked good at times. But. Um, but, yeah, I think it, I think it's better in more specialty situations. And ultimately, like once McAvoy's once McAvoy's fully back up to speed, uh, putting him back there, I think, just makes a lot of sense. Do you guys want to talk about bottom six now? Because there's not as much to talk about bottom six, but Frederick Coyle-Zaka. Um, Coyle is obviously huge on the penalty kill, and they've had such a good penalty kill this year. Zaka actually had two chances up close. Um, and Frederick kind of n- not really too noticeable again. And then the felino Nosik smith line on the fourth line that they had together today. Well, just looking at, I'm glad you brought that up, Bridget, because it is, I did want to give a tip of the cap to Coyle and Zaka. I think they've been playing good hockey lately, and Trent Frederickson, he's been engaged too. 
obviously Nick Felino, every game this year has found a way to impact the team, but um Felino, Coyle, and Zaka through 14 games are all half a point per game or better. Um which it, that's that's we don't want it's not like they're you know scorching the other teams, but that tells you that that you're getting production throughout your lineup and and I don't take it for granted because I've watched this Bruins team struggle for the last three or four years, despite it being a, a top 10 or so team in the league that they haven't been able to do that. They've been relying on their power play and their top forwards, and now they're getting it from everywhere. So yeah, I think, I, I think that their bottom six has been great. It, the combinations continue to tinker a little bit here and there. Um, but I have no complaints about them. I mean, obviously Thomas Nosek hasn't, found the score sheet. Um, but he's, but even he's, you know, he's, I was hard on him earlier in the year in preseason, but he is, he is doing well on the penalty kill. Um, yeah, I, I've been happy with their play as, as, as a, as a bottom six group, no matter, yeah, no matter yeah. who's in there, AJ Greer, Loco, whomever. Yeah. And, and no sick, luckily he, you know, ended up playing, um, the rest of the game, but he did take that kind of a dangerous hit, um, that we mentioned earlier. Um, but, but other than that, yeah, his, his contributions mostly came, um, on the, on the penalty kill and then Smith, I didn't think had a terrible game. Um, but of the bottom six, Felino once again, stood out. Um, and when asked about him, coach Montgomery said, um, Felino's having a great year. I can't find him enough ice time. Um, so basically he just keeps earning more and more time and, and respect from this team. Yeah. I, I like how I feel like Montgomery could say that and basically did say that about like the entire bottom six. Um, kind of just like a, that kind of stuff is like kind of be quickly becoming classic Montgomery. Like I want to play but everyone 20 case, minutes a game. Yeah. But in this case, like, I don't think he's just like saying it to just try to like pat someone on the back. Um, like Felino is earning the ice time that he gets clearly. And, um, you know, he's had another fight uh, sticking up for no sick. Um, so he's, he had three hits. Um, so he's another guy that's just leads by example. And so I think that's why he's takes the time after the games to say stuff like, like I was- that about him. I will say, like, Jim Montgomery, I have a new nickname for him. I, I'm calling him Jolly Jim from now on. Like, <laughs> I, I honestly think that I know the holidays are vastly approaching. I think he has a part-time job as as being a Santa Claus at the Burlington Mall. Like, <laughs> taking pictures with the kids, just throw on the, the, the fake white beard and give him, give him the old the fat suit and call him Santa Claus. But he's just, like, so he's – it's honestly comical. He's like a TV character. He's, like, so – positive about everything even when he like tries to criticize things he always puts a positive spin on it he so he hasn't lost at, he hasn't lost at home yet so he can be as happy as he wants with the media in the, in the post games and and by the way the fact that his goalie is playing so well definitely makes his life a lot easier <laughs> like Olmark just you know he, he said as much like I can just be calm behind the bench uh and I just know Allmark's going to make the stop. So like it, the, the way the Bruins are playing allows him to be as jolly as he wants. Well, and another one of my favorite Montyisms came up after the game, <laughs> which is that uh, the, ev- everyone on the team is better than he thought they w- they were. He was, he was asked like, 
you know, how has coaching Omar been different than facing him or whatever? And he, you know, he made it like, look, I was in the Western Conference and not scouting every Eastern Conference goalie. Then he's like, but he's better than I thought. It's Swayman too. Like, because you know. I'd never heard of him before. So he had to be better than non-existent, I guess. You know what, Scott, you're, you're a better writer than I thought you were. And I thought you were a pretty good writer, but I can't wait for that. I really yeah. got an appreciation for how good of a writer you are. You're really punctual and all that we, good stuff. He's a real tiger. I'm waiting for him to call Scott a tiger one, yeah. one day. <laughs> well, I mean, to say, to say it about like Clifton or, or Olmark is one thing, but he also said it about, Pashnak, <laughs> he was like in training right. camp, camp. He's like, you know, he's like, you know, I, I knew he was good, but I didn't know he was this good. And starts chuckling, he's like, Jake, what do you mean? He's like, he's like a fifty goal scorer, like that elite for a couple of years. To be fair, to be fair, I don't think he knew most of their real names ex- except for just their nicknames for a while. Maybe still doesn't. So I feel yeah. like he was coming in with limited information <laughs> on the Bruins, and then you know, it, it apparently. It still works. So he, he starts like every sentence with, you know what? When you guys are in media scrums, pay attention. He always starts with, you know what? And just starts chuckling. He's such a jolly guy. Like, <laughs> I can't wait to see him at the Burlington Mall. I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Is that is that all we want to talk about with game stuff? Any last thoughts on the game before we move on to our final topic? One, one thing I was going to – one thing I wanted to mention because – we know like the Bruins have obviously picked up their defensive play. They still lead the NHL in goals per game with four per game. They're now up to second in goals against per game, 2.29 right behind Vegas. The only other team even, you know, close to them in the standings. Vegas is, uh, what's their record now? 13-2-0, so half a game ahead. But man, like that didn't take long to climb up in, in, terms of team defense you know start of the season we're thinking like uh they sacrificing defense too much it's wide open give up seven to ottawa and it's like nope they're they're now number two in team defense yeah there's that running gun hockey people were criticizing them for <laughs> um yeah no it's uh it's and and, and you know the, the thing is it's like it has it, it hasn't been pretty the whole the whole time like there's like we've talked, I mean, Anaheim, Dallas, Calgary, um, Pittsburgh, all the, th- those are all wins that, that weren't necessarily pretty. Um, but again, they find ways to win and, and, and in doing so they have, they have collected, um, the best goal differential in, in the league. So, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's, if that's the case when it's not always looking pretty, that's, that's that's not bad. It's not a bad situation to be in, but uh, yeah, um, Bridget, if you had, I had no more thoughts on the game. I mean, all, other than um, all Mark just kind of making his case for early case for for Vez and the candidate if this were to stay, but we'll see how that plays out. But I had no more thoughts, um, and if you do or don't, you can take over and introduce the next topic or Scott, whomever. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. 
Yeah, let's let Scott set this up because in the saga of Mitchell Miller, um, you know, we get more information out this week um, after our last recording um, that contradicted um, what Mitchell Miller and his agent have been saying. Um, so, Scott, if you want to take us through um, the new information and just updates and whether or not we think there needs to be discipline after the new information, which just makes things look even worse. Yeah. So we'd mentioned on the last podcast that uh, Mitchell Miller's agent, Eustace King went on the Cam and Strick podcast and shared their side of the story. And, you know, I think I made sure to point out at the time, like this is still like, that's one side that's his agent. He has a vested interest in, you know, putting kind of a positive spin on things. Um, and I mentioned, like, you know, the one person we hadn't heard from on the record yet was Isaiah Maya Crothers, the, the victim. Um, now we have. He released a statement through the Hockey Diversity Alliance um, and basically, like, called bullshit on a lot of what Eustace King had said on that podcast. And so like, no, like they, they weren't really making progress. They're, they're not friends. Um, you know, did he detailed obviously the abuse that he endured, um, growing up with Mitchell Miller and said, you know, yeah, Mitchell Miller reached out to him and, and, apologized via Instagram message or Snapchat or whatever. And, you know, like said he wanted to said he was working to make it better or whatever said it wasn't about hockey. And, uh, Isaiah said, okay, like, where's, where's the proof of what you've done? And he said, like the conversation kind of ended then. And, you know, Mitchell Miller didn't, didn't provide any. Um, so that was, you know, and Isaiah, my Crothers goes on to say that like, he doesn't, doesn't want to talk about it anymore. Like he doesn't want this to keep going. Um, and it, you know, it was pretty like devastating statement to read, to see. And I think it makes a lot of people look even worse. It's certainly, you know, certainly Eustace King, who it seems, took Mitchell Miller at his word and probably didn't doesn't seem like he really worked to confirm much of what Mitchell Miller told him about how, you know, his relationship with Isaiah is now. Um, and then Eustace King turned around and spun that tale to, to teams that are thinking about signing Miller, including the Bruins. And yeah. what other and choice do you have? Like and, as as his agent, like obviously he should have done, but like if he he has no ground to stand on if if he doesn't have like this assumption that Mitchell Miller actually is trying. So it's like he's probably willingly not seeking the information as his agent because I don't know how you can know what if he knew all the stuff that Isaiah put out in the statement um how could you represent this kid in the first place basically yeah it's i don't know and like i've wondered you know since this came out like would he 
drop Mitchell Miller as a client. That hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other people who already looked bad and I think now look even worse is is the Bruins, who it's very clear they just took Eustace King and Mitchell Miller at their words, didn't bother to seek out the other side, and you know basically helped contribute to Isaiah Maya Crothers like having to suffer through this all over again. And, you know, had they reached out at any point, they, they would have heard a completely different tale than what Mitchell Miller and Eustace King told them. And the fact that they didn't is just, you know, it's, it's an awful, awful look for them. Um, yeah. You know, and I guess to spin it forward, like, I don't, we'll see what happens. The last we heard was from Cam Neal on Monday. And he said, you know, he's looking into it. He has more work to do this week. He needs to see, you know, how and why this happened, that they didn't talk to Isaiah or his family. Um, and as of, you know, late Thursday night when we were recording, we don't know anymore. We haven't heard anything. Uh, we no haven't one else heard. from the front office has yeah. spoken, so. We haven't heard from or seen Don Sweeney since the Cam Neely press conference. Um, so we don't really know what's going on with him. To, before we get to the discipline part of it, I just wanted to read a few parts of the statement that are like the most disturbing parts. Um, so be, I'm just going to cut right to the bottom first, um, which is all the Bruins really needed to reach out and ask, um, but they didn't. So Isaiah said, the quoting Mitchell isn't my friend. It hurts my heart. What he did to me. So I just wanted to tell everyone when Mitchell says we're friends, it isn't true. I can't take this anymore. And now that now he's getting even more hate on like messages from social media, people calling him N word again. And he's just kind of going through it over and over again because of this whole situation that the Bruins have to take ownership for the fact they put this kid through this again. Um, And he detailed a little bit more about what, Mitchell Miller said to him back in the time where when they were kids and and Isaiah was getting bullied by him um we had known the part about um you know calling him a brownie and the n-word um but he said the kid said my black mom and dad didn't love me and that's why I had white parents that's heartbreaking like who says that who says that to someone that is just horrible um and and how can you as the Bruins see that and I mean, a lot of this was known. There's a few extra details here that help fill us in on how, just how stupid this decision was by the Bruins. But like, I don't know how you could in any sort of good conscience take on this situation for no reason. And now you're stuck in the contract because they still haven't been able to get rid of his contract. We don't know what's going to happen with that. So it's just so heartbreaking that this kid had to go through it again. And I feel like they, if the Bruins had just asked, they could have found out all that information. He like he wasn't gonna not respond to them. So I, I don't know. I just don't know how the Bruins missed the mark this far. I, I gotta be honest, guys. I, I, people keep asking, and 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 Bridget, you just kind of brought it up. If only the if the Bruins just talked to the family, they would have known this stuff. Well, I believe the Bruins did know the majority of this, but they didn't go to the family because they knew what they were going to say. 
they knew they were going to say no. And, and quite frankly, the Bruins didn't want to have that. They, they didn't care to hear that because of course they knew that the, the family wasn't going to condone or um, give them their blessing on this. They knew okay, that. But then if you're the Bruins ask to see the text messages that he said he sent, like ask to see the messages that he says, Oh, you know, they were, they were getting along. Like you could go through those messages and realize that no, in fact, it's not like that's, that wasn't the case. He, the conversation ended before they had any reconciliation. Like if, if I'm the Bruins and I want to find it out, I'm like, okay, well, give me your phone. Let me look but at that, what your conversation said. But that's, why, but that's why they deserve the criticism and the heat that they're getting because they didn't care to do it. Cause they didn't, they just didn't care. That's, that's my point. That's why they, yeah. should, that's why, that's why they deserve all this backlash because they didn't care to know because they knew if they knew that they weren't going to find anything that helped their cause and, and sign this kid. Now, another quote that was in that, and, 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 and that's why it's like that, that's why this, this whole thing is just like asinine. Uh, and, and they deserve everything that they're getting right now. One, one takeaway I had, another takeaway I had in addition to the things you mentioned, Bridget, and by the way, everybody who's, who's saying everybody deserves a second chance, blah, blah, blah. Look, I'm all about second chances, but from where I grew up, in my opinion, is that second chances aren't deserved; they're earned. So i I believe that sec I believe in second chances, but you have to earn it. You you, you don't deserve shit, and that leads me to this point, which is one of the other things that he said, and one of the things that Isaiah claims that Mitchell Miller told him online recently, like last month, was. He said to him, he was trying to reach out to Isaiah, and eventually Isaiah reached back to him because he was kind of bombarding him. And Mitchell Miller, the first thing he said was something along the lines of, "Oh, you you only you only have your parents speaking up for you. Why don't you speak on behalf of yourself or something like that?" And then Isaiah said, "I I, I can't speak for myself." And then he, Mitchell says, "All right, well, um, anyway, I'm sorry, but this isn't about hockey." So it's like even a month ago, he's he, he's he's criticizing the kids, saying, "Oh, you're too coward to have your parents speak up for you." Essentially, is what you're too much of a, of a baby to have your parents um, to speak on your behalf. You have to have your parents speak for you. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry, but this isn't about hockey. So this just goes to tell me it, it goes to show me this is why I don't feel bad for all the hate that Mitchell Miller is getting because he's not remorseful, and this is why he doesn't deserve a second chance because no, he hasn't earned it. He hasn't earned it. He's he's an idiot for thinking that he could do nothing and have this go over well. Like, if he actually thought he was going to be an NHL player at any point, doesn't he know that he had to take the hard road, that it was going to be twice as hard for him to make the NHL as it would be any other person with his skill set that doesn't have the horrible background that he has? Like, you can't take the easy road, and you can't just go, oh, I'm doing stuff in the community and then not have any proof. And it... And not even just that, like you better be doing it consistently. It better be documented. You better ha have like, you know, new standing with Isaiah, which he clearly didn't. I don't know why from his point of view, from the agent's point of view or from the Bruins point of view, they thought they had anything to stand on where this conversation would work and people wanted to give him a second chance because without any of that stuff, nobody's obviously going to want to give him a second chance. Um, and he, he doesn't deserve it, really. He would have needed to prove that he deserved it, and he has no proof whatsoever. Every single time his agent or him say, 
they have proof. It's just not there. It's a lie. So yeah, he's he's just as as stupid for ruining this chance and making such a bad publicity stunt with this opportunity that he's already had thrown out that now who wants to take a shot with like at him like no college hockey team no NHL team wants to do it anytime soon after knowing all the huge shit show and that happened in Boston and the fact that there is no proof like they already they learned more about him about how he wasn't remorseful so he could have had chances if he did it the right way he maybe could come back for it despite how shitty it was in the first place and whether or not he ever should get a second chance he would have given himself a much better you know opportunity if he had just done this the right way and so i don't know who's advising him but it, it's just been gone about the complete wrong way from yeah. his side the bruin side the agent side every single side yeah it seems like it seems like his approach is like how high schoolers approach uh, like bulking up their resume for college applications where, you know, like, Oh, look at all this community service and volunteer work. I'm going to put on my application. And it's like, yeah, you volunteer for like an hour and a half at the church bake sale or something, you know, you, you spend 45 minutes picking up some trash in a park. Like, Court, you court like, ordered. You, you court ordered community really, service. <laughs> you weren't really doing community service. Like you did just enough that you can put it on with like, oh, you know, totally lying, and then it looks kind of good there. But like you didn't care about it. You weren't actually, you know, interested in like helping your community. Like that's yeah. that's what it seems like Mitchell Miller did. It's like he, okay, yeah, he went to some meetings. He did what the court said. Uh, even after yeah, that, he, okay, he maybe stopped by a few was- schools his only apology was court ordered yeah so it's like okay i apologize no that doesn't count (laughs) just like court ordered community service doesn't count court ordered apologies do not count um so yeah let's let's if if you want to brian i don't know what you were going to say but get to the to like how in the world can the bruins not have someone which no one has lost their job or at least got suspended, had some sort of disciplinary action over this entire mess. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll throw that to Scott and then I'll give my answer to that after him. But what, the only thing I was going to say was um, Ryan Whitney and uh, Paul Bissonette were actually saying on Spit and Chicklets that apparently when um, Mitchell Miller was doing his pre-draft interviews with, with, with those teams that would speak with them because some didn't even want to speak with them, I guess he like – had a disclaimer like I'm not I don't want to talk about this incident because it, because it's in the past I'm moving like the, the and and that and that uh, NHL teams that spoke with them pretty much said had the same sentiment that like the court did the court magistrate did when they said that there was like no he just didn't seem remorseful and I just feel like this kid Mitchell Miller is such a moron such an idiot that he has I think in his mind I think in his mind what happened back in the day he like views viewed as like boys being boys and he's like and he's resentful at Isaiah and his parents and and, and everybody for even like just continuing the story and it, it, like that I don't think he's remorseful because I, I I think he thinks he's being misrepresented in, in, uh, in some crazy yeah, world but those are just pe- the people who always think they're the victim and shitheads are always going to be shitheads how, and he has- how, else, how else can you explain somebody 
sociopath or something. Well, well, I don't no, 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 for sure. No, for sure. Like he, like the kid, the kids, that's yeah. hundred percent. Like he's an idiot. Like, cause I know people, oh, I know God, people God. like this. Nothing was ever their fault. They're never to blame. Um, you know, that's exactly they, they, he definitely, he definitely is. That, that's probably the, honestly the best way to describe it. He's like his sociopath, right? That's like, he's turning himself into, in his mind, he's probably turning himself into the victim. Like, oh, I'll, I'll, <clears throat> I was just a kid. We were just being boys, like whatever. Like, so it's just a whole, as far as the Bruins go, Scott, I'll throw that to you. Um, I don't really have much of a prediction on that. I'm, they're probably just taking their sweet ass time and maybe trying to see if it blows over. I really don't know. That's not going to blow over. Not a, not if you and yeah. Scott can help it in the media scrums. No, I mean, we, we talked about this on, you know, after Neely's press conference on Monday, but without directly naming Don Sweeney as the one at fault, Neely was clearly putting it on Sweeney. The way he, that he, it, he, you know, he said it was a hockey ops decision. He said he doesn't know why they didn't talk to the victim's family. It was, you know, concerning that they didn't. All this, and and it's like, well, if Neely's not taking full responsibility for that, saying like, you know, saying I was in charge of this, this is my shortcoming that, you know, I own this, which he didn't say. He said, I have to figure out why we did. I have to look into it. I have work to do. That tells me he's putting on Sweeney. That tells me that at least in his mind, he looked at it as, you know, Don Sweeney is the, he's the general manager. He's the one in charge of um, making this decision, doing this background check, all this. And that might, that might actually be like how it played out. Cam Neely might have said, okay, Don, you're in charge. Like, let me know if you need anything and just kind of walked away. But I would say if that's the case, then to me, Neely is still just as at fault as Sweeney. Because you don't, you don't just pass off something this big. Like Neely has been involved in other decisions. He's like I saw. I saw some people try to say this week that like, well, of course, like you know, of course, like Neely wasn't involved. Like he's kind of just like a figurehead. And it's like that hasn't been true in a decade. Like there, there may have been a time where that was kind of what Neely's role in the organization was it hasn't been for a long time. Like he is very involved in day-to-day hockey operation decision, like that type of stuff. So he should have been, he was at the meeting with Mitchell Miller, by the way, like when Mitchell Miller and Eustace King came to Boston to sit down for like five hours, Cam Neely was there. Like he met him. So if, if it was important enough for him to meet with Mitchell Miller and Eustace King, then it should have been just as important for him to hear from the other side. And that's where like everyone comes up short that no one thought it was important enough to hear from that side. So yeah, you can say, Hey, Don Sweeney was, you know, leading all of the, like he was the one in charge of whether to sign him, do the background or whatever. Okay. That's fine. But why wasn't Cam Neely more hands-on in that case? Like that, that doesn't make any sense to me. And unless they like unless he somehow thought that this wasn't that big of a decision or like wasn't that important, but if you're if you're meeting for five hours with uh, someone you're signing to an entry level contract, like that should probably be a sign that this is pretty important. 
So maybe you should be taking it seriously and be involved. Well, and how, I, how alarming is it that Kim Neely said after meeting with him, he said he thought he was remorseful. Like, what does that say about Kim Neely's judge of character or, or being able to assess when somebody is bullshitting you or, or, or like, because, because everybody else that's talked about this kid, people from, you know, court, people that have met with him, um, like I mentioned earlier in pre-draft interviews, they all sensed his lack of remorse, but yet Kim Neely felt he was remorseful. It's such bullshit. It's, 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 they didn't, they didn't expect people to care which goes to show how tone deaf they are and how, how little they think of Bruins fans as, as, as actual human beings. It's like, dude, like people don't want to win at all costs. And by the way, not that this kid's helping you win at all costs. He's a fucking 11, 111th overall pick. So, but regardless, um, yeah, to me, this isn't the first time that Neely has thrown Don under the bus. I, I think he did the same thing with the, with the, the Cassidy firing. I mean, I think he make like, he makes Don this, the, now Don's not innocent in the Cassie thing. And maybe he wanted him gone too. And he's certainly not innocent in this, but Cam is making it seem like he had nothing to do with it. When he, like you said, Scott, he met with them and he wrongfully said that the kid was remorseful. Um, but the best case that Cam Neely can make for himself is to claim negligence. But guess what? People get fired over negligence. So even that's not like, you know, scot-free. So I, I mean, it, the two of them combined the whole organization words can't describe just how idiotic and baffling, um, that they are, that they put themselves in this situation, what we talked about. So, um, you know, is it grounds for firing? I mean, look like on a business level, they have this decision really put a stain on the perception and um character of of the organization and if you're the jacobs that's a pretty big deal like these guys are supposed to not just put a winning product on the ice but they're supposed to protect the image of the company and, and the organization they have failed at that in this situation and then you know like do certain partners and whatnot do they pull out of deals when they expire or what like so you just there are there are, if i'm the jacobs like yeah you, you fucked over the business in a sense like you might not see it tangibly right now because people are still filling the seats and you have ongoing partnerships with people. We see like a million digital ads on TV. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I think that, um, I think if this is a real, if this was corporate America and not professional sports, like heads would be rolling a lot, they would well, be gone. And, <laughs> but and, because of sports, it's, it's what it is. Yeah. And well, and another thing that could happen is like, I also think there's people below the GM president level that screwed up here that um, kind of fell for the bait or maybe misrepresented things to Sweeney and or Neely. And it's like, you know, whether that's like at the scout level or whatever, where it's like, what if the Bruins fire one or two of those people but like you can't do that and then Sweeney and Neely stay there. Like no matter who screwed up at what level, like ultimately it comes back to them. Like it's they're in charge. It's their responsibility. Yeah. So if someone if someone below them didn't do their job well or fell 
you know, whatever. It took one side's word and um, pushed some sort of false narrative. It's like, okay, yeah, like that's not that's not good for them. And maybe there's a reason to fire them. But ultimately, you're still the ones in charge. It's it's still your responsibility. And if someone below you, you know, fails, like you have to recognize that and be like, hey, you know, we need to do more work here. Like maybe don't just take people at their words without getting the other side. Yeah, no, it, it's you're right about that. If they fire like the guys lower, they're just it like it's honestly stupid because you should have followed through and figured it out on your own either way. So yeah, sure. That could happen. It hasn't happened yet. They've had plenty of time to announce any sort of discipline. Um, and you know, maybe this final step, which did this come out this morning? Um, Thursday morning, the statement from Isaiah, uh, that was Wednesday, Wednesday morning. So they still had time. Um, to do something after it's been a whole day and maybe by the time, you know, people are listening to this, maybe it's been two days. Um, but my thing is like, is there even any like slap on the wrist you could give Sweeney or anything? Like you can't suspend a GM that's like still working with agents and trying to get deals done. I'm talking about like with Pasternak, can you find a GM Can Like what could they even do short of firing him? that would be like a slap on the wrist kind of like shame. Um, and even so it feels a little late for that. So like, I just don't know if anything's going to happen. That's like, that's the most ironic thing too. Right. Bridget is like, when I, when, when Nini, yeah, Nini, <laughs> when Neely and Sweeney mixed together, yeah, that, that might as well be they're, they're pretty much one person walking together the whole time. Sweely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, when Neely, I actually like that. I'm going to start using Neely because they are, they're one walking doofus. <laughs> four legs, four arms, one brain. Um, when Neely went to face the music, quote unquote. Yeah. Like I, I'm not going to lie. Like I had this, like, like this, like little rage go over me when I, when I, when like people were asking him, like, you know, is there going to be any internal discipline, blah, blah, blah. And he was making comments about like, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go, go, go see what happened. I'm going to have to, it basically it's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go investigate and be a little Sherlock Holmes. And I'm going to, if I find somebody screwed up, I'm going to fire. It's like, well, the irony of like, Oh, you're going to fight. You should be the one like fearing for repercussions here. And I just feel like I would be so surprised if anything happened to Neely or Sweeney, because it's just classic. Like it's the boys club. Like, do you think the Jacobs would ever fire Cam Neely? Uh, unless he did something that was like, I mean, but this is kind of, this is kind of in that category, but like, unless, unless he just did something that was like so unforgivable where like the, they had to do it. I, I, I think the last thing that the Jacobs want to do is fire the prodigal son. Like the, he's been the face of the Bruins, one of the faces of the Bruins for the last 35 years. Um, so I'd be I'd be blown away if they did it to, to Neely, Sweeney. Yeah, I think they would. They, I mean, the day is gonna come. One, way, I mean, GMs have a have a shelf life, so that's gonna happen one way or the other. Um, so I I don't know. I don't think they have the balls to get rid of any 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 of them um, because Neely would have to be the one to get rid of Sweeney in there. You know, he might have to fire him and then go go play golf in Belmont probably. Oh yeah, that. just be like the owner told me to, or you yeah. know, like Jacobs 
Yeah. They told me to. Um, the only other thing I can think of is legal reasons. Like, I mean, they clearly have like a four cause. Like, they could be like, yes, this is why. Did you not see this whole thing? That's my only other thought is like, there's some sort of like internal process that they're trying to go through investigation to make sure they have like their shit together before they fire someone and don't like face like legal ramifications just a thought um well, yeah don't know i mean what, what here, one other thing too guys like i want your your opinions on this but like put your put yourself put yourselves in in the shoes of david pashnak like does this make you want to sign the dotted line anytime soon like when the, when your management just embarrass your teammates and your organization and like this is the guy you're negotiating with like i know it's i know it's not directly connected i get it i'm just saying like if it were me if i were passionate I, I i don't know like would it prevent me from signing with the bruins if i wanted to sign with the bruins no it wouldn't affect my deal but it can't make him it can't make uh his love for sweeney grow or his confidence in him as a gm i mean again when you when 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 you're when you're trying to sell a player a bill of goods about we're, David, we're gonna be competitive in a, in a year or two, even when Bergeron and Crazy leave. Trust me, we'll, we'll we'll figure it out. Don't we'll 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 get you there. Don't worry about it. Like you'll have a center. Like how are you supposed to go and trust that guy when when he's a major part of this decision that just happened? That's his that's his character judgment. That's it, it is in a way indirectly affected. Like. This is this is the guy's judgment. So, how how much can I trust his word that he's going to get find me an adequate center in a couple of years when he's making deals like this? Like, I would I actually would think that to myself, Bauer Pashnak. Now, would it make a difference? I don't know. It just depends. Yeah, and like he's misrep clearly misrepresented the whole Mitchell Miller story coming up to the point like before he before Mr. Miller was eventually cut. Um, so he gave us not the true story about what kind of a guy he was. Um, and so like, do you question whether or not he's been telling us the truth about how well the past conversation have been going? Cause the line from him, the whole season was just conversations are every day and you know, they're getting there, but clearly they haven't got there yet. And we're already in November. I mean, Scott, does it make you wonder at all, like what information he gives us and how credible the whole Pasenak talks are, and what he tells mm. us about them? No, I don't. I don't really think he lies about stuff like that. And Pasenak himself said that they were talking almost every day. Um, but like maybe misrepresenting how well they're going, because he was making it sound like they were like. I don't know, hope we can announce a deal soon, kind of, and then that didn't happen, so. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he never said anything like we're close to the finish line or anything like that, so. But I do, I like, on the Pasadena thing, like, I do wonder if it delays those talks or kind of puts them on the back burner from either side. Like, does, you know, does Pasadena pull back because, hey, I get, you know, I just want to see like how the, all this other stuff plays out. Like I'm not, you know, not going to rush into signing a, a mega deal. Like while all this is going on and from the Bruins perspective, like now you kind of have more immediate pressing concerns, like as crazy as that sounds like you, you 
ideally signing Pasenak would has been your priority, would be your priority, would continue to be your priority. But like now you have this whole thing that you have to try to put out, which by the way, you still have to figure out the contract part of it and what's going to happen there. Um, you know, you also have, have to make a trade coming up at some point soon within the next couple weeks. So yeah, I mean, whether it's Don Sweeney or whether there's like some sort of shadow suspension and someone else in charge, there's, there's a lot going on right now. And I could easily see the Pasenak extension kind of those talks maybe being tabled or just not being as much of a priority as, as they were like, you know, I don't know. I mean, the irony is that if they got a deal done with Pasternak, it would probably cover up some of the, like, Don Sweeney sucks. It's like, oh, well, at least he signed Pasternak. You know what I mean? Like, it would probably cover up some of the well, story. Yeah, it's like, kinda... okay, well, here's this new story. Let's pay attention to this Pasternak sign. I, I jokingly said to someone like earlier this week, I was like, they're going to walk in on Monday and offer Pasternak, like, eight years, 12 and a half million a year. And, like, you know... Hey, look at this good thing we did. But yeah. reality is like I don't I don't think that's happening. I think everyone's kind of waiting for all the rest of the stuff to get figured out and, you know, yeah, it it very well could have disrupted those negotiations. I have a I have a really bad feeling that if the season ends and Pashnak is not signed to an extension and he goes to the open market this summer, I like. I think he's gone. I think he's going elsewhere. I, I, I because because at that point, what are you going to learn about the Bruins' future that you wouldn't have already been sold on? And the Bruins can offer you the longest te- tenure. Like I, I, so like if I'm if I'm Cam Neely and I'm ownership, like if if talks aren't progressing and they're not getting closer to signing this kid by honestly like the turn of the calendar to twenty three. Then I'm then I'm I, I have no reason to believe that Don Sweeney is the guy that can get this deal done, and I I might fire him for that alone because because we we're, we we've we've gotten lukewarm to the idea of eventually in the next year or two saying goodbye to Bergeron and Krejci and others, but like I am not prepared to say goodbye to David Pashnak, and especially for nothing. So like if they lose him, because the, the the unfortunate part for the Bruins is it does take two to tango. Like as bad as they may want him, he has to equally sign the contract so if don can't get this done by like january i don't feel confident in don getting it done at all because it's just i don't know that's just how i feel and i i do think that if you can't get this player signed in a timely manner i do think that's grounds for firing because you're it's your job as gm forget but saga like i don't feel comfortable with that if i'm uh, uh, above sweeney in the in the hierarchy no but the, the only time if Sweeney's getting fired at all anytime and th- within the next year, it's right now. Like there's, I mean, maybe I, I shouldn't assume this, but there's nothing else he can do. That's worse than this. Like this is as colossal of a screw up as you can get. And, you know, if they're not going to fire him now, then they're, you're not going to fire him because he doesn't get an extension down with Pasenak or he doesn't, make a good and have a good enough trade deadline or whatever. Like those, those types of things are so secondary to something this big. Yeah, they won't. I'm just saying I would, <laughs> because I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust them. I wouldn't trust them to get it done. 
Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. And, and like, you're probably right, Scott. It just feels like it, it would just pile on to the to this, you know. I can't believe nothing happened short term in terms of discipline. Um, because, like I mentioned, kid was cut what, last weekend. When was it? I don't know. I feel like it I feel like it's been Sunday. Yeah. Sunday. All right. So, you know, there's already plenty of time to discipline someone and they did not. So I am skeptical that they will do anything. But also everybody knows that something needs to happen. So that's where we are. And I know last time we were like, we're hopefully done talking about Mitchell Miller. We're not. Um, obviously, next episode, here we are talking about him. And we will talk about him when his contract gets figured out, like if they try to get out of it and if there's any discipline. So it's not going away for for the Bruins, and it's not going away as a topic for us to talk about. Uh, at some point, it's going to come back up. Maybe it's next week. Maybe it's later. I don't know. I mean, I, I will say, like, if they were to, if they were going to fire fire Sweeney, I, I don't think it would be – this quick yet like i i i feel yeah. i feel like i feel like nearly an ownership but specifically nearly i think they have enough respect for don sweeney he's been in the organization for like whatever 15 years in different capacities i think they have enough respect for him internally to if they're gonna fire him they're gonna give it a they're gonna give it a week see everything that they need to find out or whatever or at least say that public i don't know i i don't think they would just fire him in 48 hours i i but We'll have to see how it plays out. That said, I know Bridget's clawing to to get this uh, cut up and, and edited before she goes to bed. So yeah, oh, wow, before I drive cool. to Whoa. Yale, I didn't realize um, how, how late it got. It's already one in the morning. Yeah, and I had to get up tomorrow and drive to New Haven and spend the weekend broadcasting Yale games in New Haven, and then Tuesday. Tuesday, I have um, a men's uh, hockey East game on Nesson since there's no Bruins game. So uh, you can you can listen, guys. You can listen. You mass little BC um, on Nesson. So that's going to be exciting. And that's why I'm taking off Sunday from Bruins. I'm like just preparing, just doing my I, notes, getting ready. Yeah. I will definitely be watching and hopefully people, you know, hopefully our listeners will be. Um, there's also a Bruins connection there. BC has three Bruins draft picks. So, yeah. uh, Oscar Jelvik, Andre Gesso, and, um, Trevor Kuntar. So, you know, worth, worth reasons to watch. Number one, Bridget, number two, mm-hmm. three Bruins prospects. It, is the game at Songus, Bridget? Or? No, it is at County Forum. Wow. Cause if it was at Songus, I was going to see, you'll probably see Scott front row going crazy with his Riverhawks jersey on. <laughs> Hey, he can still go. No, he he's not allowed to go because he has to listen to me. He has to tune in. All right, guys. I think that wraps it up for this episode. Uh, Thank you for listening, and we will talk soon.